What's going on, guys? Michael here, Energy 360 Network by Intercom. Excited to be bringing you this interview with Sproul. It's a powerhouse panel. But before we do that, I need to let you guys know about the 360 Digital Closing Bell. If you're not subscribed to that on iTunes, Spotify, please stop this interview. But finish, please stop it, though. Go subscribe. That is the best way to stay updated on everything Energy Finance. We release episodes every Monday and Friday before the market opens. It is the best way to know what happened in the previous week of oil and gas and what's coming up, specifically when it comes to finance, energy trading, as that's where we generally stick. We have powerhouse guests, iTunes exclusive that you can only hear on those channels. And also you can hear this podcast that you're about to listen to either on YouTube or you might be listening to this on the podcast. You can check out the Energy 360 podcast, which is on iTunes and Spotify. Please subscribe to both of them. They're from Intercom and they are a powerhouse panel. If you're also not subscribed to the digital closing bell, you can do that at www.oilandgas360.com. You can see an email every single day with our digital ticker podcast and also some of the best pricing information. They, you know, Intercom is really the place to go for energy finance news. And I continue um, to just love the content that they're putting out. And this interview that they have with Spruill is, is no less. And this is just an awesome interview. Spruill is one of the top engineering and research consulting companies when it comes to oil and gas. They have very little um, things that they don't do. They work in everything. They do consulting. They do a little reservoir care basis. Really, they're market interesting thought leaders. And they brought on Deb Ryan, who's the senior manager of engineering, and Leon O'Brien, who's a senior associate at Strategy Advisor and Instance. Really, what we did is me and Stu sat down with them and really talked to them about well, what did the, what did the, where do they see things going from demand on both gas and oil? And then where do they see sort of the other parts of the market going hedging where do they see operators with certain basins that they think are going to play well it's an awesome interview i learned so much i've already mentioned a couple few nuggets on my podcast if you listened um last week uh, uh, things they said there's a really interesting traffic consumption note that liam brings up and really without further ado i'm just gonna let it turn over Stu. you guys can hear this are you guys hanging out at right now uh, I'm in my basement in Denver, Colorado, so hanging out at home. Yeah, I'm in my makeshift office in my bedroom at uh, my house in Calgary, Alberta. Fantastic. And Michael, you're still up in Denver too, aren't you? Yeah, coming from an undisclosed location here in my office. Yeah, and I'm I'm in an undisclosed location in uh, Dallas, so... You know, uh, we got to have some fun. I love all the conferences and stuff, but we're here really to talk about Spruill Solutions and the expertise that you guys mm -hmm. really have in this marketplace. And it's just really um, uh, it, what a weird time we're living in right now, guys. And when we have to rely on experts, you know, and as uh, CEOs and everyone else relying on data and information is more critical now than ever before. Um, so you guys have had some really good webinars that I've seen and some other things going on. Um, what do you think about the near-term uh, drivers to frame the situation? And what's all the craziness about the sub $100 oil prices? Well, yeah, I think just to, just to start, it, it, it is, uh, I know this word has been, I would say, overused or repeated, but it, it really is unprecedented. And, it's true. It's true. We, I totally get it. It's true. Don't worry about it. You know, it, it's true. Um, I think, you know, we, we all know that, uh, we're, you know, oil markets are faced with major demand disruption right now. Um, we don't know how long it's going to last. We, we have some ideas. Um, there are a lot of unknowns out there, but, you know, I think most recently, uh, 
there have been a couple of interesting developments, especially on the supply side of things. So with the uh, last week's OPEC plus uh, curtailment announcement, I think, you know, there, the, the way to look at this is um, it's, it's a step in the right direction in terms of helping the market find balance. Ultimately, we're faced with such a significant demand shock really in the near term that um, any supply response solely uh, placed on OPEC really isn't, isn't a reasonable request because um, you know, a, a 9.7 million barrel per day uh, supply cut in the face of a, of a 25 million barrel per day near-term demand disruption, you know, you're left with another 60% of demand disruption to deal with to help balance things. Um, and I think it's going to, it's going to be, it's going to be the suppliers outside of OPEC, especially in the near term that, mm -hmm. that we're going to rely on to help at least begin to um, see some some level of trajectory towards a balanced market. Um, you know, those cuts are going to be coming from places like the U.S., from Canada, from Brazil, from Norway, um, and they're all going to be market driven. And so, I think, you know, earlier this week, what we saw with prices dropping to, um, you know, negative forty dollars WTI on the contract rollover. Um, what that showed us is a glimpse of what's going on in, in the physical market, right? And so we're, we're significantly oversupplied, especially, um, especially uh, towards Cushing. And so you're, you're seeing major downward pressure on prices and ultimately you're seeing the market work. You're seeing the price mechanism kick in in an oversupplied market. And that's what's going to help um, facilitate and catalyze these, these production shut-ins that are outside of OPEC and and at least begin a level of uh, a, a pathway and a direction towards finding market balance. And I think on the production side as well here locally in the US, it ends up looking like, you know, companies were hoping, I think that their hedges were gonna play out for a little bit longer and they'd be able to still find places to store. But as that's become really apparent and a lot of the uh, cuts we'd seen in capital programs talked about maintaining 2019 production. But I think now we're really going to see the acceleration of wells being shut in because of the financial implications that I think two weeks ago or even a week ago, companies were expecting to be able to at least maintain some of their production base. So I think that's going to be a really quick shift that we're going to see here from, you know, the, the events of earlier this week. So. Um, there's going to be a couple of things, and this is, brings up some excellent questions right now. As we look at uh, the oil field shut-ins right now, natural gas is such a huge issue with the byproducts of trying to get the oil out. What do you think that's going to do to the natural gas market? Yeah, it's a great question. And I think if, if we try to find a, a silver lining um, in, in this, at least in some respect, uh, there's the potential for for it to be found on the gas side of things. Um, just taking a step back, it, it's important to to appreciate just how much gas production has grown 
uh, especially in the U.S. in the last mm -hmm. uh, few years. Uh, most of it's driven by associated gas coming out of the Permian. Um, we've seen Permian gas production grow 30% compound annual growth rate over the last three years. So really um, uh, an unbelievable number. Um, and you know, when you look at the when you look at the market conditions that underpinned that type of growth, like you said, Stu, um, you know, the the capital going into these companies in the last three years um, is is being significantly decreased right now. And so, so like you said, we are seeing production or expecting to see gas production come down. Um, but on the demand side, it's being hit less by COVID. Um, related drivers, you, you know, I, I think there, there is industrial and commercial consumption that is decreasing on the gas side, but um, I, don't, I don't expect to see beyond a, you know, a 5% year over year decrease in, in US gas demand. Um, and when you balance that against the potential for, for you know, seven to 8% of uh, natural gas production declines by way of associated gas production drops um, you could see you could see uh, uh, some upward pressure on prices and we, we certainly expect to see upward pressure on gas prices especially from where they're at right now towards the, the latter end of, of 2020 and into 2021. And you know I think that's a really interesting point about you know, natural gas pricing in terms of you know when we build during the summer and, and draw during the winter um, so I think that's definitely something to watch out for I, I love that how does the demand recovery trajectory look on the crude oil side though you mentioned I really like the numbers you gave about the percentage of of growth decrease from the natural gas side what do those numbers look like and how does Spruill sort of see the demand recovery for oil moving forward sure I think you know we see in the near term you know the bulk of this demand disruption happening over Q2 the most acute losses happening, you know, in the month of April and, and into May. Um, overall, I, I think our base case projection right now is around 9 million barrels mm -hmm. per day uh, decrease year over year from 2020 versus 2019. Um, but if you, if you think about it in terms of a trajectory, we, we start to see demand recover um, by the beginning of Q3 and continue to grow towards the end of next year um, back back towards kind of uh, pre-virus levels. Um, you know, if you, look at the, if you look at some of the countries that are um, lifting lockdown measures, so, so if you look at China, um, who, you know, I would say was, you know, eight to 11 weeks ahead of us in terms of, um, in terms of enacting these lockdown measures and quarantine measures to, to, to hold back the spread of the virus. Um, you know, we're, we're starting to see traffic congestion levels in all their major cities increase um, for two weeks in a row, which is a, which is a great indicator for um, fuel demand Interesting. consumption. Interesting, okay. Um, and, and, and we're also seeing uh, Germany, also in, in Europe, they, they recently lifted isolation measures and we're seeing traffic congestion levels increase there as well. Um, and uh, another positive note or, or potentially positive, I, I should say is, you know, countries like Canada, the U S Italy, Spain, the UK, we're all still under lockdown, but we've seen, um, we've seen traffic congestions, congestion levels hold flat. 
uh, for the last two weeks. And so what that tells us is that we could be at a trough. Um, and, and as we start opening up, uh, we, sh we, we could potentially see um, uh, at least some uh, level of uh, fuel consumption increases in, in the next couple of weeks, which would align with, with our expectations for uh, a Q3, uh, the beginning of a trajectory starting in Q3 globally. Uh, Liam, you're just bringing up a very good point about the trough. Um, that is exciting to see that we may have demand curve in that trough coming in and that there's hope for the recovery even soon. I mean, as we're coming into that recovery, correct? Yeah, it's good to see actual data points around that, that, that support that hypothesis. I think, um, you know, it's still, it's still a little early to see, but uh, at least on the road fuel side of things, we're, we're seeing the drop um, slow down and actually stop in terms of dropping consumption. And so, so hopefully the next, the next set of data points we see next week, we're, we're starting to, to get back on the upslope. Before, while we just, I just want to finish up with some of the, the, the oil stuff, and then I'd love to get into some more of the finance stuff, but I want to bring in Deb here and, and sort of talk about during this recovery, are there, you know, what does, what does the outlook look like for some of the most short, uh, important shale basins out there? Like, are we going to see certain basins come back quicker than others? And what have you guys seen on that front? Yeah, I think from the analysis that, that we've done, um, it definitely looks like, and from just listening to what a lot of the companies are doing and where they're actually moving their capital, um, I'm really expecting to see the Barkin slow down pretty quickly. And I don't know how quickly, um, based on the economics and the evaluations mm -hmm. that we've done, if, co if costs for drilling stay where they are and if acquisition costs don't come down, the Barkin could be a place that we do see a, a fairly major slowdown. I think it's, it's very exposed if we stay lower for longer. Um, there is upside if, if prices improve. That's one of the reasons it's been a really strong play historically. But I think that's one area where we definitely think that the, uh, the lower for longer could really impact development there. Um, the Permian, I mean, the Permian does well, right? Mm -hmm. We know even at lower prices. But the big piece with the Permian and the economics is the flaring. Uh, we talked a little bit about the gas demand coming off. But if you can't monetize that flaring, that gas and those natural gas liquids and we're burning them, the economics of that and in New Mexico where they pay, uh, the New Mexico division charges a penalty for flaring, it really impacts the bottom line. So with increasing, you know, if gas prices tick up and, and companies are motivated to put that gas into pipelines again, then I think we're really going to see the Permian bounce back quickly because it is, you know, it is a really strong play. Um, it's also where, um, you know, towards the back end of this year, I think we're expecting to see a lot of the merger acquisition activity because it is, it does still make sense. So how does, you know, cause we were talking about natural gas prices considering increasing. Do you, what does this mean for the Marcellus then? Is, you, or is, is there uh, something that's coming out of there that you guys are looking for? I think in the Marcellus, you know, those, the gas producers um, have been, doing things as cheaply and as cost effectively as they can for a long time because we've had suppressed gas prices in the country for so long. Um, so I don't necessarily see them, you know, changing and suddenly start increasing their costs. I think we're going to start seeing them perform really well because of that increased revenue. Um, and it'll be interesting, you know, depending on how much associated gas we lose from the market, then we could potentially see an uptick in drilling to, maintain current demand for things like uh, commercial and industrial uses like Liam was talking about. 
Um, but yeah, I think we're going to see that they're some of the stronger performers company based just because of that increased profit from gas revenue. So that's a nice, yeah. that's, Oh, sorry, Liam, go ahead. I, I think just to add to that, um, uh, you know, in the Marcellus and the Utica, the, the Appalachian region, um, we've seen in the last few years, uh, relatively robust production growth out of that area as well. Um, you know, and that supported a lot of new uh, infrastructure, uh, natural gas pipeline infrastructure. Now, I know regionally they're having, that there are some issues in terms of adding growth or adding additional uh, egress capacity for excess production up there. So that, that may act as a limit, as a limitation to further production growth up there. Now they could, they, they could, like Deb said, continue to drill to maintain production levels. Um, but any meaningful growth uh, may face some headwinds in terms of, in terms of actual pipeline uh, export capacity, um, which, which again underpins, underpins the story of, of supported gas prices in the U.S. in the, in the medium term. You know, I think that's a, a really good silver lining, at least for what I think is a sort of depressed outlook for the rest of the industry. And, and when we look at the financial side of things, if oil prices are going to be this low, are there companies that are either hedged well that you guys are looking for that they can come through this? Or what does the state of that market look like as we may, might see a lot of these starting to get cashed in? I think um, from looking at the hedges, particularly in um, North Dakota, so in the Bakken and, and for companies that are down in the Permian, um, a lot of companies were expecting that their hedges were going to kind of save them through the next few months while we, you know, waited for oil prices to rebound because of increased demand. Unfortunately, though, uh, with nowhere to put production, the companies that were hedged and were expecting to be able to kind of maintain that revenue are starting to have to shut in because they've just got nowhere mm -hmm. to put it. So I think it's going to be, I think, I think we're going to see, um, we're going to see that quicker decline in production that, uh, you know, I was actually last week uh, skeptical that the U.S. was going to actually get to that 2 million barrel a day decline because a lot of companies that, that either public companies that had been talking about maintaining 2019 production or, you know, knowing which companies were hedged and stuff, I think I was very skeptical we were going to get to 2 million because companies were going to try and cash those hedges in. But now with the shut-ins, because there is no storage, I think we will start to see a quicker decline. Um, and I am confident that we will get to, to more of a 2 million a day, maybe even higher across the country from, from shut-ins. So I don't know that the hedges are gonna be as, uh, as much of a silver lining for companies as they were expecting. So just you unfortunate. Know, you know, yesterday we, uh, uh, Michael and I talked about a story in Oklahoma where they uh, actually allowed contract, uh, folks out of contracts uh, through regulations because they couldn't get into storage, which is huge. Um, do you see any more regulations like that coming around as being uh, released or eased up on, or what would you recommend on some of those things? Um, I know uh, that particularly with the Texas Railroad Commission uh, open hearing last week or the week before or whenever it was now, um, you know, there was a lot of talk from particularly some of the smaller operators about a force majeure to protect them from drilling obligations and to extend those because, you know, for the companies that have drilling obligations to maintain leases, it's going to be really challenging. So I think we are going to, you know, I would like to hope that we're going to see some regulatory intervention across 
all the different states about you know what those lease obligations look like and really helping the companies not having to spend the capital at the moment just to hold leases in an environment that they can't produce in so I, we're not really seeing a huge amount of noise um, outside of Oklahoma and, and Texas at the moment but it'll be interesting to see how that plays out over the next couple of months. Yeah. Yeah. We, we were cracking that maybe there'll be some mineral owners get some negative uh, mineral or ne negative royalty checks. Who knows if that's um, a thing, but no, I think there's so much good stuff and, and, and sort of, you know, you, you talked about the development and what's moving forward. Do you see any type of new development that's going to happen in this environment or is it pretty much what we're talking about? Shut-ins and low oil prices for the next the next couple months at, at this price none of the basins are, are going to make any money um mm -hmm. particularly the unconventionals um on a more you know mid to longer term price outlook yeah there is definitely some opportunity here in the dj basin for companies that are well positioned the dj is one of the least exposed in terms of the low prices mm. particularly because costs here are so low in denver mm -hmm. whereas drilling costs in north dakota in the barkin and in the permian are a lot higher than they are in the dj basin but i don't think we're going to see a flood of money coming into colorado given some of the political um, and regulatory rulemakings and stuff that have been going on so it's going to be a really tricky balance for companies that have got good diverse asset bases about if they put any capital in, where are they going to put it? Uh, yeah. Got... Oh, sorry. Sorry, Liam. Go ahead. Oh, no, that's okay. I think just to build on that, I, it's important to, to keep in mind that, you know, as, as the market trends back towards balance and, and prices, prices do move towards um, more fundamentally based and, and towards the marginal cost of supply. I think, U.S. shale uh, light tight oil is going to continue to behave as designed in that it's it's short cycle in nature and it's able to respond quickly to to a higher price environment and you know whether mm -hmm. whether investment decisions are underpinned by you know a, a ten percent rate of return or, or or now post post uh, post virus in a in a in a more challenged uh, capital market uh, maybe it's twenty percent. 20% or 15, 20%, I think ultimately we're still going to see growth come out of the U S on the backside of this thing. Um, because, because the assets are still good. The operators, the operators are great and, and they can, they'll, they'll be able to, to react quickly to, to higher prices once they do return. Looking at micro, uh, versus macro, uh, what kind of worldwide influences? Uh, we know that our oil companies are such a uh, national security and uh, the Canadian companies, we have talked about um, making sure the pipelines, the Keystone's now got to hold up uh, that, you know, again, uh, I firmly believe that we should uh, have very high trade with Canada and Mexico for our heavy um, and kind of wipe out other folks in the world, but what kind of uh, world impacts uh, do you see that could change or that our president or our government could make changes or recommendations? What are your thoughts on the total wide picture there? I, I think I, I think it's a theme that was already trending before um, the virus with, with the current US administration with, with Brexit going on in the UK. Um, I, I think it's a it's a definite possibility that we can see 
um, countries, for example, like the US, Canada, and Mexico work together to build stronger um, energy dependence relationships. Um, you, you know, whether or not that materializes, there are, there are important, um, there are important uh, political ties between the US and international companies or international countries that they import oil from. So uh, those those do do need to be considered as well. But but I think you're right, Stu. I think I think the potential for an increased um, level of of nationalism and a more inward focused um, inward focus on energy security could could come out as a as a result of what we're seeing right now. Yeah, and oh, sorry. Go ahead, Deb. Well, and I was going to say, I think some of it, a lot of what um, the rising production in the U.S. from the unconventionals has done is that a lot of people and companies are really proud with how much the U.S. is producing because of that energy independence. And I think there's going to be a huge pushback to, you know, I think once to, once productions come down and, and demand goes back up again and stuff, it'll be interesting to then see you know, how that energy independence piece plays out, because that's been a huge positive story for the US that was, you know, a net importer and has been a net importer for a long time until shale development really took off 10 years ago. So both on the gas and the oil side. So that, I think that term is something that we're going to hear a lot um, in the next 12 months, two years as, as, you know, production comes back, demand comes back, and uh, and how strongly the U.S. Demand, uh, production comes back um, within that. So, well, just looking at the time, I want to uh, be respectful both of your guys' time. I know you guys have extremely busy schedules, and our listeners, everybody who's been listening, um, we really appreciate we're coming out on the thirty-minute mark. Um, and really, what I want to do is just give you each an opportunity, starting with Liam and then Deb, to kind of give you know if there's anything that you guys are it's on your guys' research mind that, that or you think that. That, that, that people need to be looking out for? Is there anything that, that, that you just want to stay in wrapping that can kind of educates a little more? I know I've learned so much. Yeah, no, I think um, it's, it's, you know, while we're, while we're still going to be faced with significant challenges in the near term, I think it's important to not, not lose sight of the fact that, um, you know, a, a world consuming 80 million barrels a day of crude just really isn't sustainable given uh, what what we're accustomed to, and I think demand is going to come back. It's going to support prices in the medium to long term, and I think we're going to come out of this thing better positioned, stronger, and ready to uh, ready to find opportunities and grow once once prices recover. And then, yeah, for for me, looking you know much more into the U.S., you know, we know at the end of 2019 there was already, and into 2000 into 2020 there was already a lot of companies that had huge debt positions that were already struggling and the merger acquisition piece hadn't followed yet. And so I think what we're going to see coming out of this is really, you know, which are the strong companies and, you know, have good management teams that have, you know, managed their debt, don't have high, you know, obligations and stuff. And I'm really expecting that in the back half of, of this year, we're going to see that merger acquisition activity that, you know, we're expecting to see in 2019 and haven't seen yet. So, you know, there's, there's going to be some companies that, that do disappear during this, which is really unfortunate, but the companies that are well positioned and, and have good assets are going to come through and, and be able to pick up more good assets at, at reasonable prices. So 
you know, it's been a huge market correction and, um, you know, we'll come out of it on the other side and, and keep going. So. Well, that's awesome. I really appreciate at the end, the optimism. I think we're sometimes a little short in these days on just some sort of, 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 of silver lining. So I, I appreciate you guys wrapping it up with that. And just guys, another shameless plug for, for Spruill. You guys are experts in the oil market. You guys have a great boat of case studies. Everybody, I promise you, if you're listening to this, please go on to uh, Spruill.com. Check out all of their case studies. They're awesome. You will learn a bunch. And we really appreciate it, both Deb and Liam's time. Thank you guys for joining us. Thanks. Thanks so much, Michael and Stu. Appreciate it. Thanks.